0: This is Alex, and this is James, and you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a lovely Thursday evening here in Maine. Not sure how the weather is down in Virginia for Alex, but it's rocking. It's rocking. All right. Well, I'm sure it's nicer down there. It was like 60 degrees today and everyone's walking around with no coats. Really enjoying the, the sunshine finally being out. It's been rainy for like a week. But what has not been rainy or dour has been Evertonian spirits after the thrashing of Manchester United at the weekend. And now we sort of pivot as as unfortunate as it is to kind of look away from that that victory because I could probably just dwell on it and watch the replay every weekend for several months We now look forward to traveling to Selhurst Park to take on Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace side. And I don't know, Alex, what are your thoughts? How how are you feeling about this game at the weekend?
0: I'm always feeling good. I think it'll be an interesting task because while we've been playing very well against, you know, the better opponents, whether it was home or away. Actually, no, I I take that back. It's just been home. Um, You know, we have the slip up against Fulham and then the... uh, the gash on our record against Newcastle, I know. Kill me. I mean, no, don't kill me. Uh, uh, crucify me. That's what I meant to say. Please don't do not do that. Uh, nonetheless, I think that Crystal Palace don't play the same kind of game that a lot of the quote-unquote lower table teams do. I think they play a little more expansive. Um, you know, I personally somewhat like Crystal Palace in general, in general. Um, But I would like to throw a stat out there, right? So we have not lost Crystal Palace in all all competitions since 2014. Um, Obviously, stats don't mean a whole lot, but I think that gives us some perspective in terms of, of how long it's been and how good of a streak we have against Crystal Palace.
1: Yeah, all really good points. I agree. I actually think that Crystal Palace maybe don't get enough credit. I think Hodgson has them playing some really, really good football at times this year. We know that they have been one of the few teams that have been able to beat Manchester City. At the Etihad, no less. What's interesting about their record is actually that they have doubled the amount of away wins that they do home wins this year. They have eight away wins and only four home wins, and the only teams they've beaten at home are Burnley, Leicester, Fulham, and Huddersfield. So you've got the two teams that are already relegated, Burnley, and then, of course, Leicester, who we're competing with for seventh place. So they haven't really been able to get it going in their own stadium, and you wonder if that will, like, trickle into – how the crowd is feeling, feeling for the game because if effectively crystal palace have not much left to compete for no hope of Europe. They're not going down. And so it's kind of just like dead rubber for them at this point. They do have some really interesting players. Of course, Wilfred Zaha, who I think is probably one of the best players outside the top six in the premier league. I think he's, his, his dynamism is really second to none. What he can do with the ball of his feet is just magnificent. And, just really impressive at times, and then um, Christian Benteke, who's kind of made his way back into the picture in recent weeks and scored for the first time in I believe over a year last weekend when Crystal Palace beat Arsenal. So a lot to digest. I think they're they're a good side, and it should be a good match. But like you said, the record since 2014 haven't lost to them. Given the streaks, the losing streaks we've been smashing against the top six sides recently, it would only be so Everton. To have this streak
0: uh, broken by losing at the weekend, you have to think. And, you know, the funny thing about Christian Benteke, back in the day when, you know, I, like everyone else, was a huge Lukaku fan. You know, he had had kind of started hitting his stride probably in 14, right? I I saw Christian Benteke and I was like, I don't know how Lukaku is ever going to be able to take over uh, up front for Belgium. Because Christian Benteke, you know, he at that point, he wasn't very old. I think he was like mid-20s, maybe. Um, fantastic finisher, right? Like he was always in good form. And since then, he's just been riddled with injury. But it, it's funny to think back about that. Otherwise, in terms of players, obviously Zaha, as you said. And then Milivojevic, who surprisingly has 12 goals this season. And somewhat of a connection to Everton. Marcos Silva actually um, coached him. I think early in his managerial career. So, and, and I, I believe Marco Silva also mentioned him in his in the pre-match press conference, and, and just about knowing his quality as as a footballer and the type of threat he, you know, offers for Crystal Palace from deep in the midfield.
1: Yeah, Milivojevic is definitely one to watch out for. Um, he has had a really good year for them. One of their top performers, probably their best player on the year. Zaha, I think, in individual moments. Again, is elite, but he tends to float in and out of games at times. And But but when he's on his day, he can just dominate a game by himself. He's really that type of player where he can take on four players at once and score a goal. I did want to go back to just what you were saying about Christian Benteke because it's kind of just like a nostalgic throwback. But like Isn't back, it? <laughs> in, back in like, you know, we're both pretty big FIFA players. I'm sure that many of our listeners are as well. Lukaku and Benteke were like the exact same player in FIFA. Like they had both had insane strength, you know, very similar. So it's just kind of funny how the, the different career paths that they've gone on. Although you could argue that both careers have, have stalled somewhat. I think Benteke injury prone and, and that's really you hate to see that no matter who the player is. See that, but did score against Arsenal last week, like I said. And so you will have to be on the lookout and he is a big physical presence. And, you know, we'll have to go with. Whoever ends up starting at center back for us, presumably Kurt Zuma and Michael Keane. They've they've already taken down Lukaku last week, and so now they've got the the clone, if you will, uh to, to match up with this week, assuming he starts.
0: Yeah, and, and one thing I will say, you know, regardless of of maybe he's not gonna be as quick as he used to based on injuries, and you know, what I want to say is essentially finishing never kind of disintegrates, right? Like If you're a natural finisher, then it stays with you. If you don't have the pace that you used to or the physical presence, maybe that you used to, in my opinion, a lot of it comes down to, and we talk about Richarlison in this, in this regard, just being a very smart footballer in the box. And then furthermore, just your knack to finish, to put the ball in the back of the net. And Benteke has that. So at the end of the day, no matter what, he's still going to be a threat.
1: Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that he did, in fact, play for Liverpool briefly. And so uh, we t- really should be wishing all the worst upon him. Um, and a little side note thankfully, City won the Manchester Derby yesterday, Derby yesterday. And so they look to be in the pole position as far as winning the league. Not counting chickens before they're hatched, but hope that they'll be able to finish that out. But enough on the team across the park will we'll stick with Everton for the rest of the episode. I do think like this is going to be a clash of heads. I expect we, and we do also, you know, we haven't mentioned this, but a couple injuries to worry about. Marco Silva said today that Luca Dean should be fit, which is a huge relief. But if he weren't able to go for whatever reason, we've got Leighton Baines now who allegedly this recently broke probably about an hour and a half ago that he supposedly, according to Daily Mail, has been given a one-year extension. Alex,
0: what are your feelings on that? It's something we've discussed on the show previously. Yeah, I mean, it was a hot take for me, according to the rest of you, uh, months and months ago. I think probably, honestly, at the beginning of the season. And, you know, I said Baines and Jagielka both should get a one-year extension. I think, for the most part, it seems the fan base now agree. Baines, specifically, he's, I think, two and a half, three years younger than Jagielka, Obviously, you know we would have been you could argue we would have been okay if Baines were to have been starting this season, right like it was never an issue of of he was not quality enough. it was just that we didn't have any any sort of of backup or squad depth in that position so i think I think it's a good move. it's a smart move, right because maybe we can have um anthony Robinson, you know continue to improve and that'll give him another year to, to build into kind of that role because while he's tall, he's quick. Um, he can, he can get forward. He's not the best defensively yet. And then in terms of Jag Yelka Silva said, he'll talk to him the next coming days, weeks. Uh, I, I hope that Jag Yelka is given a year extension as well, because it's just, you know, and, and Silva's mentioned it before. It's just really important to have the leaders in the dressing room, in my opinion, Jagiel can can come in for cup games. He can come in for Europa League group stages. Um, he can come oh. in. F- he can. Yeah, there you go. He can come in for the odd Premier League match. So, I, I think both would be a good move. And then, yeah,
1: I I'm all on board with Leighton Baines. I think you know in the brief glimpses that we've seen of him this year, he stepped in. He's done an above, you know, a very admirable job filling in for Luca Dean who. Like you said, like if Baines had been starting for us, he could have been doing very well, but just the unbelievable season that Luca Dean has had has really kind of just shown the the direction that the club are headed. And in keeping a player like Leighton Baines, this is also something that Marco Silva has spoken about. It preserves that team culture. He's been a blue for, for so long now that he really understands the club and what Fans want what it means to the community. All of those things, and being familiar with that and able to communicate that and instill that to the new players that are coming in, especially when you're when we're hypothetically talking about five or six new faces that will again come in this season. If you include, I mean, Andre Gomez and Kurt Zuma, if we're able to sign them, and then a few more players, that seems to be what the rumors are. It's important to have those senior presence because if you just replace your whole squad in two years then it's very easy to lose your identity. And, and B- Baines is a very important uh, pillar of Everton over the last decade plus. Elka, I'm not sold on keeping him yet. I do think at 36, he's probably past, it's probably a little bit past him. He did come in and, and he ha- has had a couple of good moments this season, but he's also had some really shocking ones. And at that age, I think if he wants to continue playing, it probably would have to be uh, at a lower division side, or maybe he tries his trade abroad. It's It's business, you know, you want to be sentimental about it, but they're really he's like one of the oldest players I think he's the oldest player now to have scored in the Premier League this season. Uh, a remarkable feat, but I don't expect to see him scoring goals at 37. that's all I'll say.
0: Well, you know what, James, I will disrespectfully disagree. <laughs> Hey, you're the one already planning on Europa
1: League group stages, man. We have we haven't even made it into qualification yet. And you're already talking about group
0: stages. You know why? Because you I don't me. either. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. So so we already mentioned, right, Luca Dean's supposed to be fit where Charleston, however, is a big doubt. And we saw pictures of training today, and Yerimina Mina has gotten back to training with the squad. Now, as you mentioned, I think Pretty much everyone can agree unless you're literally delusional that, you know, the starting pair in the center of defense is going to be Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma. Now, in terms of Richarlison, right, it's pretty easy to assume that you're going to see the same midfield trio that we've been seeing that works so well. Um, I think that it's very safe to assume Bernard and Dominic Calvert-Lewin will start at left and top, respectively. Who do you think could come in or should come in on the right-hand side for Richarlison? And, and and I'll preface this by saying, James, I think you only have a couple of options.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of pigeonholed there. And it's like, who do you think should start on the right? And why is it Theo Walcott? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, he's a Theo Walcott scored last weekend. And was, you know, the, the final nail in the coffin of Manchester United. He had an okay appearance. I think there's rumors that he's sick. So whether or not he'll be fit for Saturday remains to be seen. I'm still like... Irrationally rationally holding out hope that Adam Lookman might actually like play some for us this year. Of course, at the beginning of the year, everyone was really looking forward to, since we were, we were able to keep him and reject all bids from Red Bull Leipzig. I think everyone was really excited to see how he'd kick on and how he would continue his development back in the Premier league. And it just has been, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a total flop. He has had some really nice substitute moments, early on, but now he just seems to barely be able to get on the substitute bench and maybe make an odd cameo here or there. I would love to see Adam Lookman now with three games left have at least two starts. Assuming Richarlison like can't come back in if he's injured. If Richarlison's 50 starts, there's no doubt about that, but just give the people what they want. Marco. I don't know. It, and then it comes back to like the things we're talking about in the summer. Like, his attitude. What is his attitude like? Is he not giving it his all in training? And if that's the case, then does he have a long-term future at the club? And those are questions that I think are very valid and and very pressing um, as we're looking to improve on our wingers in the summer.
0: Yeah, I'm, I've got another hot take for all of you, and and don't kill me. You could crucify me, but don't kill me. As 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 said earlier, uh, I won't do either. How about that? You're a good friend, so I might crucify you. <laughs> I I disrespectfully disagreed and you still won't crucify me. (laughs) Whatever, man, you're a good person. Uh, So here's what I'm going to say about Adam Olookman, right? You, You mentioned that you thought he had some, some nice substitute moments. I actually disagree. I think that he might've had a five or 10 minute flash. Maybe he had a couple of nice skill moves sprinkled in there, or, or he was able to dribble past a player, but in reality, I don't think he really produced anything. Furthermore, you can, you can kind of see by his demeanor that he doesn't enjoy his football at Everton when he does get on the pitch. And 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 I think that's, that's not something anyone can argue with. But in terms of a squad standpoint, I know a lot of people will probably disagree. You have to look at what Everton are trying to do. Next season, we are trying to firmly cement ourselves. Well, not firmly, but we are trying to make the top six, right? Top seven is not a thing. Next season, we're trying to make the top six. Okay, when you're trying to do that, you cannot have Theo Walcott starting on the right-hand side and you cannot have Adam O'Lookman starting on the right-hand side, right? One of them has to be a squad player. And if you ask me who I want to be a rotational winger next season, I pick Theo Walcott. And and I I will defend that to death because Theo Walcott is a very experienced player. He's smart. He works hard. He, he offers that pace. Again, he just showed you – He can put the nail in the coffin as an impact player off the bench. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that he he is more valuable to us in that regard. Alex,
1: Alex, Alex, Alex. (laughs) It's now my turn to disrespectfully disagree with you. I'll take it. And (laughs) say that Theo Walcott has played almost 2,000 minutes for us this season and has scored four goals. There were stretches of five or six games, even stretching longer than that, where he was like the reason why we were so bad because of the imbalance that he caused on the right hand side versus the left, the left has been so good for us all year, and we've been crying out for a replacement right winger so as far, and so you're you're willing to say that you'll go with a thirty one year old Theo Walcott next year as a rotational winger who is primarily reliant on pace he He as, should be thirty uh, next year, should he not? He's, he's 30 now, so he might be 31. I don't know when his. Oh, you're, I think he just turned 30, so whatever. Point being, 30 is like the the year where you start to decline almost universally with a few exceptions. Meanwhile, you've got Adam Ola-Lookman regarded as one of the brightest young English prospects despite two pretty tumultuous years. He'll be <laughs> 21, 22 oozing potential exactly the type of profile of player that we're looking to build a squad with the type of player with a ton of potential who can continue to grow and we can sell it a profit. I just have to disagree. I think Theo Walcott, no disrespect intended because he has had some moments, but overall he's been, I
0: believe far below the standard that's required on the right wing. That's fair to say. I, I, I I do. I do agree with your points. It's just that the overall sentiment, in my opinion, right? So like, you can look at this season for Theo Walcott, and everyone can agree it's been pretty much a failure, right? Now, last season, though, since coming in at January, he did pretty well. Furthermore, in my opinion, when, when and again, we're assuming neither one of them are starting um, because the probability of, let's say, having Lookman start next season and just lighting it up, right? Being able to produce double-digit goals, in all competitions from the wing is, is is pretty slim. Then you have to think that experience is what could drive better performances. Um, But nonetheless, I guess we could go back and forth uh, all night. I do agree. I do agree with your points. I think it's just, I think it just comes down to what your main focus is in terms of, of, you know, the talk about right wing and how, next season could shape up. But who knows? Maybe neither one of us know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel that. I feel like we, most of the time, neither of us really know what we're talking about. We just kind of ramble. and Especially in and not like, our score predictions. Yeah, definitely not score predictions. But getting kind of back because we did just go on this big digression, I do think that I think Theo Walcott will probably start a fit. And then Adam Lookman probably pigeonholed in. And then, like you said, Calvert-Lewin and Bernard and then the midfield, I expect it to stay the same with Sigurdsson in front of Gay and Schneiderlin. No real reason to switch that up after the result. But you could make the argument that Tom Davies deserves a go against a Crystal Palace side who aren't nearly as, I don't think they're as threatening an attack, at least on paper, um, as Manchester United. But we all know that they didn't get a shot on target until the 85th minute or whatever it was the other night or the other day. So maybe I I think he will stick with kind of that, that resilient two and allow Sigurdsson a little more free reign in front.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I love Tom Davies, but at the end of the day, it's another it's another point, right? Like you're trying to cement yourself in the top six. Unfortunately, at this point in time, and probably even for another year or two, Tom Davies is not going to be starting caliber for that. You know, for that goal. So, in terms of the current situation for Everton, right? We sit in ninth place now that everything is kind of settled because we were in seventh. However, we had game, a game in hand to, uh, Watford and wolves. So we sit in ninth place. Now, 49 points Watford and Watford has 50 wolves have 51 points. Now you can easily say, well, on paper, you can easily say Everton have the easiest schedule in the last three matches. And I'd like to point out wolves and Watford play against each other in one of the last three matches of the season which tells you that at least one of them have to drop points. So if we finish seventh and Manchester City win the Cup, then we can get into European qualifying. Now, James, what do you think our remainder of the season needs to look like in order to make that happen? And furthermore, what do you think the possibility of, of Manchester City beating Watford to win the Cup is? while they're also trying to win the league. Firstly, I think that
1: we'll have to at least beat palace and Burnley. I think that goes without saying, if we could pick up a pointing in spurs, I think that'll go a long way. But like you said, wolves and, and Watford both play each other. So someone's going to drop points there. And I think that gives us a really good chance. If we can get seven points from our last three games, it would be pretty harsh on us not to get seventh in that case. But Wolves have honestly been of an unbelievable side this year, what they've been able to do against the top six, considering that they were just promoted from the championship. They deserve all the credit. I still think that we were robbed of an opening day victory against them, and I won't let it go. That being said, I think, A, I think, so seven points from our last three, and then as far as the FA Cup goes, City are going to be very hungry for all the silverware they can get now that they're out of the Champions League, they're going to want to definitely have win the domestic trouble. And so I think that they're going to be all over Watford. And I just I just don't think that Watford really have it in them to beat them. City are I think I believe that they're head and shoulders above Liverpool quality wise all over the pitch.
0: I think we can all agree style. there, James. But, Let me cut you off. Yeah. We all we all agree there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's really it's really all in their hands and they seem to have a firm grasp and know what they need to do in order to, to win the trouble. I think it's very achievable for them, but crazier things have happened. People slip up. That reference won't be lost on anyone. Everyone will understand that one. Um, Yeah. We're going to have to win on Saturday. And I think it's just one game at a time and see what you can do. And then the the last day of the season against Spurs, it would be nice to to wrap things up with a little revenge. I think I'd
0: agree with you as well. It's going to be a tough one though. However, Spurs do have or are still in the Champions League so that could lend itself to you know a positive result for us assuming we take the opportunity by the scruff of the neck nonetheless look out for our post-match podcast Saturday hopefully it's going to be a really exciting one right James always exciting Alex
1: but hopefully you know a little more pretty high spirits hopefully we can keep this uh this positive run going and carry things off into the summer and into next year.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to
1: stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.